ever wonder how to pray or why to pray? Well, our Heavenly Father left us an example. It's found here in Matthew chapter 6. We'll spend time together taking a look at the disciples' prayer here on Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Join us. The Disciples' Prayer. Contrary to popular belief, this is not a prayer that we recite as Christians, but rather it's an outline for what prayer should look like, changing from time to time, moment to moment. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Our teacher and pastor Steve Converse takes us back to Matthew chapter 6 once again as we focus our attention on this Disciples' Prayer. We would invite you to join us as we grow together in our understanding of prayer. This model prayer or outline for prayer left by our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here now is Pastor Steve with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. We turn over to the book of Matthew chapter 6 this morning. We're looking at what we call the Disciples' Prayer. We commonly know it as the Lord's Prayer. Last week we looked at the fatherhood of God and and all that was captured in that first phrase there our father in heaven and uh, we learned that that our father is is much like a uh, dad to us that's what that word means Abba father it's someone who cares for us who's wants to have an input into our lives he doesn't want to be as uh, some people feel that God is a distant God that's unrelated to us. He, want, he wants to be uh, intimately involved in all of our lives. And one of those ways is through prayer. And so Jesus is giving us a model here of how to pray. He's not giving us a prayer to repeat over and over and over, but he's really giving us a model on how to pray. A lot of times when we think about prayer, a lot of times we focus on a couple different things, and usually it's our needs. We go to God and, and we have different things that we need, and so we basically come to God and we say, hey, I, I want this, I need this, help me in this area. And, and that's kind of usually a last resort for some of us. We try everything we can, and then when that doesn't work and we're kind of frustrated, we ah, oh, you know what, I forgot to pray. Maybe I should pray about this. Prayer is much more than that. God wants so much more um, out of prayer for us. He really wants it to be a way that we can draw closer to Him in communion. True prayer really brings the mind right into the presence of God, into His character, into His attributes, everything. And true prayer really brings the mind into that immediate contemplation of who God is. And that's what prayer should do. It's not just a want list. It's not just a give me list. Prayer is to impress you and I with, with, with God so much more than we are trying to impress God with our needs. Matter of fact, the Bible addresses that. It says, before you even ask, I know what you're going to ask for. That's not the purpose of prayer, just to ask for things. That's fine, but that's not the purpose of prayer. And you go all back to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 13, when Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it in order that what? The Father may be glorified in the Son. Why will God answer a prayer and, and hear your prayer and answer it? He'll do it for His glory. That's the purpose of prayer. All of our petitions, all of our uh, supplications, requests, needs, trials, problems, all that are subject 
under the umbrella of what will give him glory. And that should be our attitude when we come before God in prayer. We shouldn't just barge into his thing and say, oh, you know, I've got an achy shoulder. Help me with the shoulder. And got you know financial problems. I've got this, got that. That's not what prayer is about. And Jesus was trying to teach the people of his day by this model prayer how much more prayer should be. When you stop and think about it, when you, when you come to worship God, where do you begin? Where do you begin when you, when you stop and you say, okay, you know what, I want, I want to worship God a little while. Well, you have to start with God himself. You have to start with the attributes and the nature of God himself. And when you come into that time of worship, and we've all probably been there in our own personal lives and even corporately at times, when it doesn't matter what's going on around us, we're so focused on God that it's, it's, it's him we're seeking. And he is, is, is communing with us through that time of worship. And during that time, you're probably not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about how you can get glory. You're thinking about God and His glory. That's what true prayer is all about. Most people don't think that way, though. They think of prayer as an effort to bring God into line with their own desires. God, here's my plan. Now, bless it, please. Amen. You know, well, what if God doesn't, if that's not God's plan? What are you going to do then? Is he going to bless that? Absolutely not. And so we have to be in subject to his sovereignty in our lives. We have to go to God with the idea that it's not about us. It's about God and his will and his sovereignty. You know, you see this on TV all the time. You see people, these teachers, and, and they'll be saying, you know, you just, you just tell God what you need and you just demand it because you have a right as a child of God. You don't have a right to demand anything from God. Who do you think you are? God is the most high, the creator of everything around us. It's amazing that we would be so bold as to tell God what he should do. God is all-powerful. We're not. And you know what? Really, those kind of prayers that we see a lot of times on television and other arenas as well, you know, uh, name it and claim it kind of mentality, they're not anything new. Turn back to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. Prayer is so much more than just going to God and listing off some needs or wants that we desire. Now this is, is Jacob basically here and, and what he's doing is he's taking a vow. And it, and it says in verse 20 that Jacob vowed a vow. He's a patriarch. And he said here in verse 20 of Genesis 28, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then what? Then the Lord shall be my God. Hold on, Jacob. Who do you think you are? You know, this God isn't a kind of a thing that you order on TV and you get in the mail and say, I don't like it. I'm going to send it back. You know, if it meets all your needs, then you can keep it. We'll give you your money back. You can send it back, whatever. That's not the kind of God we serve. And he started off his prayer all wrong. If God will be what? With me, he says. And do this and do that and do that. Well, then I'll make you my God. See, a lot of times people come to Christ and that's exactly how they come to Christ. They have felt needs in their lives and they say, well, how is Christ going to meet my felt needs? My marriage stinks. My kids are out of control. I have financial problems. I don't like my job or whatever. Maybe if I come to Christ, God will make everything nice. Beloved, that's not why you want to come to Christ. The reason that you come to Christ, the reason that you bow your knee at the cross of Christ and come to Him as your Lord and Savior, the only reason 
is that you're in need of forgiveness for your sin. See, there's not a person sitting here today that at some point in some time in their adult life, in their childhood life, has not sinned in some way against a holy God. If you are, I want to come and touch you because you're perfect. Maybe it'll rub off. See, we're all falling short, the Bible says. We have all are in need of forgiveness. We all have a, a, a heart that's darkened with sin. It's desperately evil, it says. And you may look real nice on the outside. But you know what? On the inside, your heart is black as coal, God says. And you say, well, I'm a good person. I tried. Well, no, you're not. You're not because God says you're not. God says all have sinned and fallen short. That means you're coming up weighing in the scales. That says basically that you're, you're trying maybe, but you're not making the mark. Trying to get to heaven on your own good works or on your own righteousness is, is, is just ridiculous. It's like trying to jump from here to the moon. You may be the best high jumper in the world. You're not going to make it to the moon. There's no way. It's impossible. There's no way you're going to breach that door of heaven if you're basing your salvation on who you think you are or what your righteousness is or what works you do or how good you are. All that doesn't matter to God. God simply says, you know what? I don't want to hear it. That's not the point. The point is is that you have a sin in your heart. You have a life that's darkened with sin, a heart that's darkened with sin. You need a remedy. The only remedy there is, beloved, is the only remedy that God gave. He didn't give plan A, B, and C. It's not like, you know, the price is right. Carol Barrow, what's behind door A or door one or whatever? It doesn't work that way. God says there's one way to heaven. Only one. See, when we come to Christ with conditions placed upon our salvation, if you'll do this, God, if you'll do that, God's saying, uh-uh, that's not genuine. Because your heart is not broken before me. You're coming for what you can get from me. You're coming for what I can do for you. You're overlooking the fact that, you know what? You are lost and on your way quickly to hell. If you don't repent, if you don't change your mind about the way you're going and look to Christ, the Savior. That's what the Bible says. And when you get to that point in your life, when you realize, you know what? There's nothing good within me. There's nothing I can do. I can go to church till I'm blue, to the fa- blue in the face. I can pray till I'm, you know, falling asleep. It doesn't make any difference. I can read the Bible over and over and over. If I'm outside of Christ, if I've yet to put my faith, my trust in Christ, if I haven't yielded my heart to His Lordship, then that's all for none. The Bible says all those good things are like filthy rags. They're like dirty rags that you'd roll up and throw in the corner of a, of a, of a greasy garage somewhere. They're no use to anybody, especially not to God. See, prayer has the purpose not of just getting something from God, but it has the purpose of uplifting God, of of bringing God to his rightful place. When we pray for things and God answers those prayers, who gets the glory? He does, rightfully so. We don't walk away around saying, you know, hey, I prayed for this and God answered my prayer. So I'm going to... Print a book and say, hey, everybody's got to pray this prayer because if you pray this prayer, then this is what will happen. That's ridiculous. And yet, people fall for that all the time. Prayer is the purpose, has the purpose of lifting God up, setting God in his rightful place, putting his majesty on display, putting his sovereign will on display. That's what prayer is for. And so when Jesus came to this prayer back in in Matthew chapter 6, this model prayer that he gave us, 
He says very clearly, hey, I'm going to list some things off here, and I, and I want you to pray in this way. First of all, hallowed be thy name. Our Father in heaven, that's where you, you go. <laughs> that's, that's our Father. That's, that's the fatherhood of God. Then he says, hallowed be your name. That's really talking about the priority of God. See, we're focusing on God when we go to prayer. We don't focus on ourselves. And we've got it totally switched. It's like the enemy did a, a bait and switch thing with this when it comes to prayer. Because we think a lot of times the only reason we pray is because we need things. We need God's protection. We need God's this. We need this. And so we go to God in prayer at those times. And back then, in Jesus' day, the, the Pharisees and the, the, the Jewish folks of the day totally messed up the idea of prayer. I mean, they, they had it all wrong. They were counting on their righteousness, the outward righteousness. They'd dress up certain ways so they, everybody could look at them and, oh, they're praying and all this, and as if God would be impressed with that. And you know what? He's not. And so I don't think it's a coincidence here that when Jesus says, pray in this way, our Father in heaven, our Daddy in heaven, Abba, Father. It's kind of a casual term when it comes to God. And then he follows it right up and he says, hallowed be your name. In other words, don't get too comfortable with the Abba, Daddy kind of syndrome that's going around in Christianity. Oh yeah, my daddy upstairs. You know, I've heard that sometimes. And people throw this phrase around, you know, the big man upstairs. And they get real casual in the relationship with God. And we forget that we need to hallow his name. It says, hallowed be your name. And we're going to look at what that means this morning. See, a father is, a, is, a, is someone who cares for his children. You see that in the story of the prodigal son. And the name, when it says, hallowed be your name, a name means things. Back then, even more so than it did, than it does today. Everybody here has a name. Everybody has a meaning behind their name. Back in this culture, it really meant something. And so we want to look at what does it mean when it says, hallowed be your name. God said to Moses, for example, I know you by name. Do you know that God knows you by name? Every one of us here this morning, he doesn't have to run into you and go, oh, uh, sorry, you know, your number is so and so. No, no, he knows your name. If he ran into you on the street, he'd say, hey, George, how you doing? Hey, John, how? he'd know your name. He'd even know your middle name and your last name. He'd know how many hairs were on your head, the color of your... He'd know everything about you. That's the kind of intimacy that God brings into the relationship. I always wondered, you know, when you read through some of these books in the Bible and you get to some of these genealogies, and it's name after name after name that you can't even pronounce, you know? And you're going, okay, God, what, how does this, what is this about? Who, who cares? You know, I always hate when I get to that point when you're reading through the Bible in a year. And you got this, you know, chapters of names you got to read through. I mean, you're so tempted just to go, yeah, 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 okay, let's see where it pick up again. <laughs> As if God didn't mean those names to be in there for a certain reason. He did. I think maybe one of the reasons was is that he's just showing us, you know what? Names are important to me. I care about people, and people have names. Our Father cares for us. The Bible says in Matthew that a sparrow falls to the ground, it says. Your father knows about it. I wonder if he does the same thing for the crows. <laughs> I wish some of those crows would fall to the ground. They're just, yeah, they tear up the place around here. But you know what? In that verse, it doesn't, the, the language really doesn't do it justice. What, what it means is when one of those sparrows hops, just hops a little bit, the father knows what's going on. He's so involved with everything. Our Father cares for us. He's our dad. He's Abba Father. But don't forget that we're called to hallow his name. 
in verse 9. That's what he says. It's interesting that when you go through this, it says, Our Father in heaven, and then it says, Hallowed be thy name. That's the first petition. The second one is, Thy kingdom come. The third one is, Thy will be done. When you get through those three, then you can get to the part of the prayer where it says, Give us. <laughs> right? It says, first of all, the model of this prayer is, You better be setting God in His rightful place before you start bringing your request to me. Hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And by the way, if you could give us this, if you could forgive us, if you could lead us, and then it comes right back full circle, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. See, the ultimate priority in prayer is always God's priority. It's not our priority. When we say, hallowed be thy name, your name, it puts God in his proper place. In our mind. What does that mean? Hallowed be thy name. Is that kind of like, long live the king? You know, what's he saying? Is it just a phrase he threw in there? What's, what's he saying about that? What's the Bible say about that? It really has the idea that you're, you're, you're grabbing a hold of all that God is. His nature, his characteristics, his attributes. And you're saying, this is who you are because of your name. It's not just talking about the literal name of God. It's not restricted just to a title. That's not what he's talking about. Today, when we think of somebody's name, a lot of time it's just a name. That's it. We don't think of the meaning behind the name. We don't think of why they're called, who they're called, or what their name is, or whatever it is. You see, back then they had uh, they put a big emphasis on naming their children and why they would name them certain things. You can see that throughout the Bible. And when it came to the name of God, they were very particular in how they used his name. In the Old Testament, particularly, you read the word Jehovah. We see that over and over again. Well, you know what? In the Hebrew language, there is no such word as Jehovah. It's a non-word. Because they felt God was so lofty, they couldn't call Him by His rightful name. The name of God in Exodus is I am that I am, Yahweh. The other familiar name that we're familiar with is Adonai, which means Lord. The Lord God, Yahweh, Adonai. Not a, a, a Jew would never say those names because they, they considered it too sacred. And so they had to come up with a, a, a phrase that would work. And so what they did is they took the consonants out of Yahweh and they took the vowels out of Adonai, two names for God, and they put them together. And that's where we get the name Jehovah. That's where it comes from. They made it up so they wouldn't have to say the real word that is really God's name because they just thought, boy, it's, 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 it's too, you know, we, it's too holy. Can't even speak God's name. And so what the Lord is teaching us here is that hallowing the name in which we have respect for who he is. It's not just his name, as they thought. It's not just a physical name, Adonai or Yahweh. It has the whole idea of encompassing everything that God is. All his characteristics, all his attributes. And there's a lot of different examples of that in Scripture. Back in 2 Samuel, it says, The princes of the Philistines went forth, came to pass... And after they went forth, David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. Now, David got a good reputation with all the people back then. He behaved himself more wisely than Saul and his servants, so that in his, his name was much esteemed. But what does that mean, just his name? No, it means his whole characteristics, his whole personality, everything that made up David was esteemed. Why? Because he behaved a certain way. They're not talking about the letters of his name. 
See, that's what the Jews did. They, they took the letters of, Jesus, of God's name and they said, oh, these are too holy. We've got to make something else up. And God's saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. The name stood for the whole character of the person. Back in Exodus chapter 34, Moses is having a little discussion with God about his glory and he wants to be sure that God is with him and he wants to be confident that God is there with him. And so in verse 18 of 33, he says, show me your glory. Don't give me a job that I can't do without it, basically. I want to know that you're here. And then down in 34, 5, he says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed what? The name of the Lord. Does that mean he just, Lord, 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 Lord? No, it's not talking about that. It's talking about everything that makes up God was proclaimed. His whole essence, his characteristics, his attributes. When you proclaim the name of the Lord, that's what you're doing. He goes on and he says, the Lord God, and he doesn't stop there. In verse 5 he says, is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, and will by no means clear the guilty. See, that's what it means to be a holy, just God. All those things wrapped up into one. See, God says, God says I will proclaim my name. What's my name? Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness, all All those things make up who God is. And so when we hallow His name, we're not just talking about the physical name. In Psalm 9.10 it says, Those who know Thy name put their trust in Thee. Those who know Thy name put their trust in Thee. Now does that mean it's just, oh, you just got to know God's name and you're saved? Is that what it's talking about? No. It's not talking about just a physical name. It's talking about knowing all that God is. In Psalm 717, it says, I will praise the Lord according to His righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. The name being all that God is. That's what makes up the name of God. Psalm 102, verse 15 says, So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord. In the New Testament, kind of the other end of this, is where it says, you know, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you'll be saved. And people have taken that to mean, well, just say it. Just say those words. Just say Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. Go ahead, say it. And people have been led down a path of unbelief because they literally uttered those words. Okay, okay, I'll do it. Jesus is Lord. Now you're saved, brother. God bless you. Next. Is that what it means to be saved? I don't think so. Satan knows that Jesus is Lord. That doesn't save him. It's so much more than that. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're bringing your life, your entire life under the sovereign leadership of God. The sovereign headship of God. And when Jesus manifested himself here on earth, the Bible says in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory of who? It says the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus manifested God to us. Jesus said in in John 17, 6, I have manifested thy name to the, the men whom thou hast given me. When he manifested himself, it was God he was manifesting. He wasn't here for his own glory. So it's not just some little phrase that Jesus throws in there. There's a lot of meaning behind God's name. Matter of fact, he has a lot of different names in the Bible. I've listed them there, I think, in your notes for you. Elohim, Creator, and, and all the way down. And you stop and you think that in the beginning, what? God. It's the third word in the Bible. Elohim, it means the Creator God. He's the one that we're to hallow as the Creator. When we look at all the things around us, beloved, trust me, it didn't come out of some primordial soup. God created what we see around us. 
The hymn writer put it so right when he said, I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed, where'er I turn my eye, if I survey the ground, I tread or gaze upon the sky. Creatures as numerous as we are subject to thy care, there's not a place where we can flee, but God is present there. See, everything we see around us, everything we experience, God has created it. And so we need to hallow his name as creator. And you can go right down there. And and whether it's the healer, peace, Lord of righteousness, Lord of hosts, provider. That's what it means to hallow his name. is to understand what it's about. So many times as Christians, we wonder why we struggle in our Christian lives. And a lot of Christians struggle because they don't understand the character of the God that saved them. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650 650- 366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. Music.